progressive ideas, conversations from schools, and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. If ever you wanted rich, varied, and informative stories and conversations around equality, diversity, and inclusion, this is the podcast episode for you. Thanks for choosing the School Leadership Podcast from NAHT and NAHT Edge, where Natalie from the association meets two people steeped in these vital subjects. Edurio are an organisation that realises just how critical it is to understand the unique perspectives of pupils, their parents and members of staff, and to achieve that understanding are at the very forefront of research-based survey instruments and a unique platform for schools that visualises the data that's been collected. Their work is fascinating and in just a short time you'll be hearing all about it and just how it's helping to improve education. So it's an equality, diversity and inclusion special from us this month. And to begin, someone who started off World Afro Day, both a project and a celebration and something that she characterises as, in the beginning, a crazy dream. What a story this is. With the big hair assembly blazing a trail through schools, Natalie is in conversation with the brilliant Michelle de Leon. My name's Natalie Onnett, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm NHT's Senior Equalities Officer, and I'm joined here today by Michelle from World Afro Day, uh, and she's here to talk a little bit about World Afro Day and the work they're doing around the Big Hair Assembly. So welcome, Michelle, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, before we get uh, into the kind of the, the, the meat of the work that you do, I wondered if you could give us a bit of a background into uh, World Afro Day and kind of how you got involved in that. World Afro Day is coming up to its fifth anniversary and really was inspired by my own daughter and other women, I think, who'd gone through struggles with their hair. But my daughter was having a really, she's really positive about her hair and she was singing how much she loved her hair and she was really thankful for about her hair, really. But I thought, wow, I didn't want her to be the only child. So I thought about the millions of children around the world who I knew didn't feel positive. And I thought about the millions of women who didn't feel positive about their Afro hair. And I just really wanted to do something positive. So instead of all the negative struggles, I thought, let's have a day where we can come together and celebrate. So as part of World Afro Day, uh, you run what, what, what you term the big hair assembly. What does that look like? What does that involve? The Big Hair Assembly, I think I always had it sort of at the back of my mind that I wanted to reach, you know, schools and create something that would be easy for people to learn and um, would just inspire change in schools, really, because research, not just our research, but also all research studies seem to be showing that school is the number one place where children feel negative about their Afro hair. And then also we also did our own research and we found that Afro hair policies were on negative Afro hair policies were on the rise at something like 67%. So there was clearly a problem within schools and I wanted to change that again, same way with World Afro Day. I wanted to change what was the negative situation into something positive. And assembly is a really accessible way for everybody. You have teachers in the same place, you have students of all abilities, all backgrounds in the same place, all learning together. So I thought, let's do something really inspirational, but educational and also 
that's going to be um, a vehicle for change. So that's why we do the, the Big Hair Assembly. So is this the fifth year uh, of running the Big Hair Assembly as well? And how has it kind of changed or how are you developing it uh, uh, kind of over the last five years? The Big Hair Assembly is relatively new, really. This is the second time we're doing the Big Hair Assembly. And the first year, we just had a handful of schools, but a handful of schools spread across the world. And we got some really positive feedback about it in terms of the people that took part. So we just thought, well, last year was the pandemic, so we didn't we didn't do anything about it then. It was too difficult to create it then. So we're thinking that the Big Hair Assembly is going to be our main main event and um, spotlight really in trying to engage as many schools in, as possible to make them aware that this is a problem but make them aware that this is actually a solution you don't just get the assembly event itself you get resource packs that go with it as well so it's second year and already it's it's grown massively and when you talk about schools Michelle do you mean both primary secondary special school kind of across across the piece well, what, what would I say? I would say that the Big Hair Assembly started off with big schools, but we realised that it was just because you can't really teach a four-year-old as well as a 14-year-old. But what we found is that, you know, primary school teachers have been getting in touch, did get in touch and want to be a, be a part of it as well. So what we've done this year is develop something called the Little Big Hair Assembly. And it's um, a different format in the sense that we create a format, um, we provide the resource pack that goes with the format and we create content for primary schools to host their own little big hair assembly so they can adapt they can use all the resources we provide or they can pick and choose which things best suit their school and also choose how they want to use those resources for their learners if members are interested in kind of uh, getting involved or signing up what might they expect from uh, kind of the resources or from the day and, and, and how might it look in in their school so depending on whether it's the big hair assembly or little um, little Big Hair Assembly. Um, the main Big Hair Assembly has um, performances, it has um, presenters, it has people's own personal stories. We'll be connecting with other schools around the world. We're doing something called the Big Swim Chat. So um, swimming has been in the sort of the news recently this year concerning inclusion again. You know how inclusive is swimming to people with afro hair type so we're doing um, a really good panel discussion around that and also changing some of the the negative stereotypes around swimming we'll be doing a quiz um, so it's a real mixed bag for the big hair assembly and the little big hair assembly is just there won't be so many performances because obviously we can't do the performances in each individual school but we'll pro be providing film material um, and then exercises that they can do, which is very interactive with their with their children, getting children to think about the words that they use around Afro hair and also getting them to feel more confident. All children feel more confident. So there'll be exercises to help children feel more confident about themselves. That all sounds uh, really, really interesting. And obviously, as you said, this is kind of the second year you've been running this so I just was um, interested to kind of learn you know what kind of feedback have you had from schools uh, who, who got involved uh, previously or, or school leaders and, and, and then the children and young people as well. 
it's been really positive actually and, and one thing the one thing I love about the work is that although it on the surface it may seem that afro hair is only about one type of child it's not about it's not it's about all children learning about each other's experiences and the experiences that children with afro hair actually go through so what you find is that um, I probably have some a few quotes here. Um, it's one of the best assemblies I've had. I really enjoyed the assembly. It made me feel strong and stick up for people who are being bullied about their hair. I was really excited to be a part of the very first big hair assembly. It's like we are joining forces to help change the way people feel about Afro hair. It was lots of fun. But what's more important, I hope schools can see how their hair policies can change. So. You have a real mixture of um, responses, but all good, but it's from their own perspective, but they're, they're able to, I think it's so important actually, it's, it's one of the things that we want to be global citizens, as, which is part of schooling, but we actually just want to be better human beings and better human beings means we're learning about each other and our experiences so that we can live better together. I think that's a, a really nice way of framing it, Michelle, isn't it? As uh, you know, learning about, each other each other's experiences um and that you know that that's really important you know kind of regardless of what age you are but you know particularly with um you know children and young people and i think you know the feedback kind of speaks for itself really doesn't it yeah. what's the intention behind the day what what do you hope you know for those schools that that get involved this year or or, or kind of are, are thinking about uh, how they can kind of um engage in this you know what what do you kind of want them to take away from it and and embed going forward maybe schools don't always understand there's a difference between diversity and inclusion sometimes you might they might look at it and think well I don't have children with this type hair in my school but then that means they're not going to learn anything about those children we're all part of one global society really so whether you have it's about learning about others that's that's the main thing and and learning about equality so just you might have a school that's full of children with all different backgrounds but do they feel included do they feel valued do they feel like they belong do they feel as equal or respected to other other students at school what the big hair assembly does it it, it just it brings you into a place where you're going to be learning without knowing that you're learning you know that's the best way to learn you don't even realize you're learning because you're just enjoying being there you're enjoying being part of the experience and you're learning through doing I suppose that's what that that's one of the best ways to learn you're actually learning through being part of an experience I think being part of an experience is probably one of the, the best ways to actually learn you are actually part of an experience so if schools are really uh, kind of want to learn more or want to get involved in the the big hair assembly which I'm conscious I'm not sure we've actually said the date yeah. of it uh date yeah, so of it yet. Um, <laughs> how can they how can they get involved the big hair assembly is on the 15th of September but actually we will be releasing the resource packs ahead of the assembly so the resource packs will have science in there history literacy art equality and inclusion so the resource packs are a really good way to um, help schools prepare and I think I think we need to kind of recognise that it's been a rough 18 months. I don't know how many rough 18 months. I don't know if it's two years we're, of dealing with the pandemic and actually starting off your term with something hopeful and inspirational sets the tone. You know, we're not we don't want another year like last year. We don't want another term like last term. We want to look forward 
Um, and what, what better way to look forward is to, by bringing people together and just saying, you know, we're going to have a better year than last time. I think I think what you're, that will definitely uh, resonate with members. I think you know everyone, everyone recognizing kind of the difficulties as you said of the last eighteen months or almost two years now. I think of of it and um, the opportunity to kind of use the use the new term um, to to focus kind of on the on the future and the and the positive aspects. And I think that's that's something that we're we're hearing is is something on, on members' minds and that kind of um you know well-being of staff and pupils and, and and some of this feeds into that. What's after that? What's the kind of the grand plans for World Afro Day and for, for your organization and, and the work kind of going forward? Are you trying to get secrets out of me now? <laughs> well, no, no. I think we're just interested, you know, where do you see this going and developing and continuing to work with schools and, and others in the sector, really? It definitely is an ongoing um, journey, ongoing relationship with schools. We want to, we want this to become like a normal um, part of school life, a normal annual event that schools look forward to and um, that they can, and then realise that there will be resources, like our website is always there. So if you want to sign up to the Big Hair Assembly, you just go to worldafroday.com and there's going to always be, we'll have an education section there so there will always be something there for teachers for schools all year round anyway and eventually we'd like to start a charity start the charity aspect of what we do I mean we do everything for free anyway but I just mean become officially have a charity that that will be able to just deal with things all year round. Michelle de Leon was talking to Natalie Arnott and worldafroday.com is the place to read up on their vision and their continued successes, worldafroday.com. Now let's get a different and really in-depth view of what it takes to embed equality, diversity and inclusion into a school and how you uncover the true feelings of staff and pupils. Iona Jackson is Adurio's Head of Research and begins with some background to their work and mission. So Adurio is a provider of stakeholder feedback surveys for schools. So we have a, a set of different surveys aimed at teachers <clears throat> or other school staff, um, at governors, at uh, pupils and at parents. Um, and the topics range from things like kind of learning conditions and assessment to things like well-being and of course uh, equality diversity and inclusion um we basically collect kind of very large data sets that represent kind of a cross-section of of uh, of schools across the country um based on these different topics and then um, allow the schools that have taken part to access both the results to the, for their school and um, to see kind of a national benchmark so that they can see how they're getting on um, and also how that compares to kind of other schools around the country. And I personally, um, I, I work in the research team, so we are, we are the team who are kind of creating these surveys and, and doing the analysis off the back of it. And uh, we did the kind of the, the equality, diversity and inclusion project um, and analysis that we are here to talk about today. And obviously you talked about there um, about how you work with individual schools and then kind of 
collate that data into kind of a national sample? Um, and how does that feed into kind of these sector reports such as the, the, the Equality and Diversity and Inclusion report that we're going to talk about in a minute? Yeah, so so this, this, the surveys are kind of um, focused on different topics. So this one was a kind of survey that was focused on equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, we've also got one on kind of staff wellbeing and working conditions. Um, so the way the benchmarks works is basically everybody that answered the questions in the equality, diversity and inclusion study will both feed into that benchmark and be able to access that national benchmark as well. And so they can kind of, yeah, each school that's taken part um, can, can look at their results and can look at kind of, yeah, the difference between um, how they're getting on compared to the rest of the country. And you've, you've talked about quite a few different areas that you've looked at in the past, and obviously this is, is one particular focus. How do those uh, kind of areas come about? How do you uh, decide on, on what to focus on? And, and, and how did a jury come to kind of think that actually we need to be having a look at equality, diversity and inclusion in schools? Um, so on the on the first half of the question around kind of how do we how do we come up with topics in general, um, it's a mixture. So we work with kind of uh, our customers. So um, talk, talking to the school leaders and um, HR leaders and head teachers and so on within the schools and understanding kind of what matters to them. This could be kind of an ongoing thing. So understanding kind of wanting to track staff wellbeing, wanting to track retention, wanting to track kind of um, what might drive um, staff member to want to resign or to change roles and so on. Um, we, we will then kind of take those needs of our customers and then we'll work with either, um, we'll either create the survey internally or if there's an area where we kind of, we have a knowledge gap about a particular topic, um, then we'll work with external experts on kind of gathering up all the information that we need in order to create a kind of comprehensive enough survey um, to meet the needs of our customers. Um, and, and thinking about the equality, diversity and inclusion one in particular, that was one where we worked with external experts. So um, we we kind of, we're in charge of kind of writing the survey, but um, actually we, we had a lot of, we did a lot of work with Hannah Wilson at Diverse Educators to make sure that we were using the right terminology, um, covering the right topics and and yeah, getting the best out of the survey. And to answer the second half of your question, um, so yeah, so in terms of why we um, decided to create an equality, diversity and inclusion survey, so this was something that we kind of knew our customers cared about, we cared about, but until a kind of May of last year with the murder of George Floyd, it had not quite made it to the top of the priority list for um, a number of our customers and, and, and so on. So that kind of gave us a real catalyst, both within our customers and, and, and with us to kind of say, right, we do, we do need to um, be addressing this. Um, and it actually came about through conversations with one of our customers in particular, which is a large um, multi-academy trust. And they um, kind of, they were in a position where they already had little things happening around the trust so um there would be an initiative here there'd be an initiative there um but there wasn't a kind of coordinated effort around equality diversity and inclusion um and at the point of the um george floyd incident and then the subsequent kind of with black lives matter being top of the news um more so than it had been ever before um that kind of gave that impetus to, for, for the trust to say actually we want to do we want to do something about this um and where they were kind of 
where they were was sort of, well, we don't know really where to start because we don't know where we are now. So that was where we came in and said, we'll create a kind of sort of like a lay of the land survey, which allowed that trust. And then subsequently our other customers to kind of see how they were getting on at the moment and understand kind of what are the experiences of different groups within their within their schools and where there are kind of bigger differences or where there are kind of areas that they they felt that that, that it sort of seems like we should be prioritizing this and we should be looking into this bit in more detail from there we worked with um as i said hannah wilson at diverse ed and um built the survey and then we launched it um we launched it with the initial trust in i think september of last year and then in january to March of this year, we did kind of a big nationwide campaign to get as many respondents as possible. Um, and we got results from, I think, 380, yeah, 380 schools across um, 50 trusts. Um, and that represented the voices of 16,500 staff members. Um, so from there, we were able to kind of yeah, create this large data set, large analysis, and um, then the report. Thanks, Iona. And that's kind of uh, was feeding into, into my next question about... Um, <laughs> about who took who took part in the um in the research and obviously you've touched on touched on that already but does the um the trusts involved was that a kind of a mixture of primary and secondary schools and and did it kind of have a a geographical kind of spread across across i think it was england only wasn't it this this research indeed yeah england was the focus so it was yeah 16 and a half thousand staff members from 380 schools in 50 trusts um a good mixture between primaries and secondaries um and also a pretty good regional split there were fewer schools took part in the northeast um but apart from that across the other regions it was all pretty pretty even yeah and we had um predominantly our our respondent our customer bases academies and academy trusts um but we did have some local authority and kind of other schools as well before we go into kind of the findings from the report, uh, we've obviously touched on uh, it was focusing on equality, diversity and inclusion. But I'm conscious that those terms sometimes get used a bit interchangeably. Uh, and I know in the report, you, you've kind of defined how you're viewing them, at least in, in relation to this research. And I didn't know if you just wanted to quickly touch on that and what the kind of the areas, the, the research was, the particular areas the research was looking at. And then we can kind of have a have a chat about what what the kind of key findings were from it sure yeah that's a really really good point um because actually within our survey kind of we, we ask questions like how diverse is your workplace um and as you say if if the word means something slightly different to different people then um it was important that we had kind of yeah a one a one sort of consistent definition for people to be reflecting on when it came to equality um the definition that we used is equality is a concept underpinned by legislation that requires organisations to provide access to participation to all individuals and groups and take action to protect those discriminated against. When we define diversity, um, we said we are all different, whether because of our physical abilities and qualities, appearance, life and work experience, commitments or other experiences. Diversity is a reflection of that. And finally, uh, for inclusion, the definition that we used is inclusion is about feeling respected, valued, safe, trusted, having a sense of belonging and being able to be your best self and to do your best work. So those are the four definitions that we used in ours, um, in our survey. Um, there is another topic um, which is known as equity, um, which is not covered here, but it's something that is referenced quite frequently within the kind of 
discussion around equality, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, so equity is the concept of kind of where where you are now can be a product of all the experiences that you've had up until that point. Um, and treating somebody equally in one particular moment might actually not be uh, as fair as as it may seem because one person might have had many, many more opportunities uh, in the lead up to that um, moment um, and another person might kind of had opportunities working against them up until that moment. And so um, taking it, equity kind of takes into account the kind of social structures and, and things that have been in place in, in wider society and in wider kind of history to to get to uh, one point in time. Great. Thanks, Anne. I think it's helpful, isn't it, to to um, ensure that when you're kind of undertaking research in this bit, that, that everyone who's kind of taking part is is understanding it from the from the same perspective. Um, and, and like you said, there are quite a few definitions and topics uh, in this area um, and people have slightly different uh, views on on some of on some of what they kind of cover. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in terms of the report then what were the areas that you uh looked at and what were the what were the kind of key findings from it um yeah so so we basically looked at um with with the kind of um lens of equality the lens of diversity and the lens of inclusion we looked at um different stages of kind of school life so from the point that people were recruited into the um, school or to the trust, looking at kind of on the job kind of, yeah, day-to-day -day experiences that they might have. And then also we asked questions about kind of um, advancement. So um, promotions and training and kind of um, additional responsibilities that people can be given. And so what we kind of found was kind of interesting when we when we first looked at the data, we we had this kind of key question in there, which was overall, how committed is your workplace to promoting equality, diversity and inclusion? And 80% of staff responded that they felt that their workplace was either um, committed or very committed to promoting EDI. But actually, when we looked at this by different groups. Uh, one thing I should have said is that all of this was looked at through um, the lens of different protected characteristics. So um, in the Equalities Act, they laid out nine groups which of characteristics which people um, may or may not have, uh, that may or may not kind of be part of the majority group or the kind of dominant group, or they might be part of the minority or the marginalized group. Those different characteristics are age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage and civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race, religion and belief, sex and sexual orientation. Um, and we looked at each of those topics. So the kind of recruitment, on the job experience, advancement, we looked at each of those um, through the lens of kind of what are the differences by these diff by people with different characteristics. We found that overall, 80% um, of staff said that they felt that their workplace was committed to EDI. But actually, when we looked at different groups, so people with people with a protected characteristic and compared them to the peers that didn't have that characteristic, um, we found that there were material differences between um, different respondent groups and also between different school types. We also found when thinking about diversity um, that less than half of staff felt that their workplace was diverse. Um, and we found that that was higher, that sorry, that diversity was higher in urban areas and lower in rural areas. And we also found that most staff do not feel that their workforce reflects the student body. When we looked at equality, um, we found that 
white staff, men and staff without a disability felt more confident that all staff are treated equally than when we spoke to minority ethnic staff, women and staff with a disability. And again, when it came to inclusion, we found that disabled staff, minority ethnic staff and those who follow a faith other than Christianity feel less valued in the workplace than their peers do. And we looked at a kind of combination of different characteristics, um, which is described or defined as the kind of the concept of um, intersectionality. So intersectionality kind of acknowledges that people have more than one of these characteristics. So you you have a gender, you have a gender identity, and you also have, uh, sorry, you have a sex, you have a gender identity, and you also have um, an ethnicity, for example. So you could, you're a multi, you're a multitude of different characteristics, um, and that's kind of what makes you makes you who you are. And we found that um, staff experience can be worse for those with more than one protected characteristic. So, for example, um, reflecting on how valued staff feel in the workplace, um, we found that a higher proportion of white British and Irish men feel valued in the workplace than their minority ethnic peers and um, women of all ethnicities as well felt fewer felt valued um, than than their male um, counterparts. And one thing that I think uh, is definitely worth highlighting for your particular audience was the difference between leadership and the wider staff body. So 80% of staff said that they felt that their workplace overall was committed to EDI. That went up to 90% of um, staff with a leadership position. They also um, found that fewer people felt their leadership team is diverse than um, felt that their workplace in general was diverse. So recall that um, less than half of staff felt that their workplace is diverse. Uh, that dropped to a quarter when asked about their leadership team. And across the board for kind of each of our key questions and each of our key kind of modules within the survey, um, we found that there was a, a difference. Leadership staff were in general more positive um, than the wider staff body. So they were more likely to think that everybody is treated equally, they were more likely to think that they are valued, they were more likely to think that uh, whatever whatever the question, uh, if it was, <laughs> it, it was, it was a big trend that kind of leadership staff were, yeah, were kind of more positive about the work being done in the area of equality, diversity and inclusion than the wider um, staff body. The whole report is is available with, with yeah, kind of that in more detail, uh, I suppose. The point that you were making about about leaders is really interesting as well. And I think something like you said that kind of comes throughout the report. Um, and I think it is picked up in the report. But is that something regardless of kind of characteristics of the leader that that, that kind of comes through that all leaders are kind of uh, seeing it, uh, uh, seeing the work that they're doing in kind of a, a very positive way and, and, and kind of interpreting that slightly different than their staff? But what I what I looked at, we could see that kind of for example, if you had a question, if, take, take the key question on kind of overall how committed is your workplace. Um, if we looked at minority ethnic leaders and white British leaders and uh, minority ethnic non-leaders and white British leaders, um, you, you could see the gap. So kind of it would be the leaders who the, the white leaders had a higher confidence than the um, minority ethnic leaders and the white leaders and the white non-leaders had a higher confidence than the minority ethnic non-leaders as well. So yes, it kind of it plays out throughout that the characteristics 
kind of then they're not necessarily exacerbating it but the 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 differences are still there if that makes sense and and then obviously there is a lot of data uh, and findings that have kind of come out from that from this report and you, you've obviously run us through those uh, really helpfully but was there any kind of one uh, one finding or couple of findings that really surprised you or or the team undertaking this research something that you hadn't been expecting there, there's one thing that I think is is actually it's less of a it's it's not like a data point so it's not kind of a a, a, a result to one of the questions but it's actually a reflection from um from Ruth Golding who um founded Disability Ed um she she added a comment in a report as a kind of reflection of the differences between disabled staff and non-disabled staff and one of the things that she pointed out was kind of the concept of equality in comparison to the concept of fairness um and she gave a really good example that was kind of if you have a um two members of staff, one of whom is a wheelchair user and one of whom is not a wheelchair user, and you are asking them to teach on the first floor. Um, if you provide both of those members of staff with a flight of stairs to get from the ground floor to the first floor, you are, in theory, providing them an equal opportunity to do their job. However, you're not really providing them with a fair opportunity because obviously it's far easier for the person who's not a wheelchair user to 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 get up there and it's kind of an irrelevance to whether or not they can complete their job but actually the environment that, that they're being set up is not kind of yeah setting them up for success and within that um thinking specifically about disability um we found kind of some quite large differences in how um confident people would be in kind of asking for additional support um so we had kind of 84 percent of non-disabled staff felt that they'd be comfortable asking for additional support to complete their role 65 percent of disabled staff um so that's a reasonable difference it's kind of almost 20 percent jump um and there were a few differences throughout where disabled staff were kind of answering much less positively kind of confidence in raising concerns to um, leadership if they were kind of worried about um, discrimination and, and so on and, and, and a number of times where kind of yeah the disabled staff were um, less likely to kind of respond positively um, and that was that was interesting when we combine that with the fact that among our respondents the majority of those who um, selected that they are disabled actually have an invisible disability rather than a visible disability so you kind of I think you have two things working against you there because you're a less likely to feel comfortable in raising these concerns and b the school might not know that there's anything because you because it's an invisible disability and it's not kind of you're not kind of obviously disabled and prompting any questions you're you're kind of you've got something that might be making it harder for you to do your job but you're not in an environment where it's comfortable for you to share those things that was kind of something that really really struck me some of the stuff you were saying about some of that narrative around of disability in particular but but, but would obviously apply to to other areas as well uh, kind of links back to, to your discussion right at the beginning around kind of equity and equality and the, the different terms there and um that point around fairness and I, and I think you're right as well and I think it's something that um Hannah Wilson picks up in her summary at the end of the report about that kind of tension between visible diversity and in, and kind of hidden mm. diversity uh, and how that isn't always um uh, we don't always have the kind of the data or awareness uh, and then that that then obviously feeds into the the support that, that that's available as well exactly i think as well that the one of the things that's been really interesting with this is kind of 
the fact that we've worked with we've, we've kind of looked at this for, through the lens of all of these different characteristics so we haven't just said kind of we're going to understand the differences between white and minority ethnic staff or we're going to understand the difference between ma males and females we, we sort of said we're going to capture this data on all of the characteristics so that we can see kind of where the differences are and at the moment actually for some of those characteristics, so for gender reassignment, the data set is really small. So we didn't have a large number of people who selected in the survey that they identify as a gender that was different to the um, kind of sex they were assigned at birth. So for now, we're kind of, those stories are almost being left untold because there's, there's not enough, we, we don't have a big enough kind of set of respondents for us to say kind of this is the experience um, and I hope over time so more people will do our survey um, and but also I, I hope over time as as more people are able to express um, more people who are in that position are able to express that that's the case um, then it kind of opens that opportunity for dialogue and for us to kind of yeah understanding their experiences better. Yeah, and I think you're, um, that, that kind of feeds into that kind of diversity piece, which you which you talk about in the report, but I think it, it is uh, wider than just the research you're doing and is a bit of a narrative in the sector, isn't there, about that kind of diversity within the profession and then within school leadership in particular, obviously, in relation to our members uh, specifically as well. So I think that's something for kind of further research and, and work on as well on, on certain areas. In terms of takeaways then for those who are reading the report, potentially school leaders in particular, what, what would you say? Is there kind of a, a couple of takeaways that you think that would be helpful to, for, for, for school leaders and, and schools to be considering? Not to deliberately plug our research, but I, th I think one of, the, one of the parts of this is if you haven't already kind of taken stock of where you are, then it's a really valuable exercise because if you don't know where you are now, you don't know, you don't know where to, how to move forward. Um, and I think that whether that's through us or through kind of interviewing staff individually or other other research that can be taken. I think it's really, really important as a first step to kind of say, as I say, like, where are we now and where are our biggest gaps? So, so actually, if you've already done that, then I think that's a really important first step. The A, you've, you're starting to collect that data, but B, your staff know that you're listening. Um, your staff know that this is this is not um, this is this is something that matters and something that is very much on the agenda. But I think after that, it's um, then about kind of communicating what those findings were and trying to build out an action plan. So based on where there are the biggest differences, do we need a focus group within kind of um, our staff members to understand kind of what's sitting behind those differences? Do we need do we need kind of initiatives within the school to to kind of amend our hiring process or our kind of promotion reviews or, or anything like that. Is there any data that's missing? Should we be looking at kind of what kind of characteristics our um, staff body is made up of and how has that changed over time and so on? I think based on kind of, yeah, what, what's coming out of the research, taking kind of introspective look and saying, okay, we're here, we want to be here what are the best ways for us to for us to get there um and hannah wilson has a, at the end of our report has a i think it's 25 questions uh, for leaders to ask themselves around kind of how to kind of build out those next steps thinking about kind of making sure that it can be um that you're not just kind of working uh, in for one characteristic you're kind of making sure that this the work that you're doing is kind of yeah taking into account all different perspectives and, and not kind of focusing on just one um if that's not kind of the right place to be 
focusing and, and kind of yeah how to make sure this is going through all levels so from kind of within kind of day-to-day -day moments to kind of big decisions and across all um kind of roles within the school as well and i think the other thing that um is interesting is around that kind of difference in the perception between leaders and the wider staff body as i kind of said like we had these big differences across the survey where leaders were more positive than um non-leaders and i think it's it's a good idea to find out why that is and there's a number of reasons that in conversations i've had since that i i know might be driving that so it could be that the leadership know that the school is committed because the leadership have got all of these initiatives in place and they're kind of they've just done a big piece on it or in fact they, they've just done this study on it and so they know that the commitment is there but that message hasn't trickled through to the rest of the school and the impact hasn't started to be seen yet it might be that yeah there's just a difference between kind of somebody who kind of knows all of the, st the strategy for the year and somebody who's working on one work stream around one kind of strategic pillar or something that's not so they don't know as much about kind of what's going on in this other strategic pillar that is focused on equality, diversity and inclusion and so on. So I think, yeah, the, the, the key takeaways for me is, yeah, I suppose, do you know where you are at the moment? If you do, how are you going to use that information to move to build an action plan that works for the school and takes into account enough of the different groups that, that are kind of that you need to? And, and then also, are you as a leader understanding kind of the reality of um, kind of your the rest the rest of the staff um their kind of experiences within the school so just to kind of wrap up uh then in, in terms of next steps for, for yourself and for the work what's kind of the the next part of the process or obviously you've released this report is there other pieces kind of in train for Aduria around this yeah so so this report was basically a kind of summary of the wider um equality diversity and inclusion review so um the in the survey that we launched about nearly a year ago, um, there's kind of a, a large number of questions that didn't make uh, this final report because this was kind of, as I say, like an overview report of, of kind of letting you know the most important or the most kind of summary data, um, first of all. For each of these questions that we've mentioned, we kind of share the experience for each group, but we dig into certain groups where there was a bigger gap. Um, so over the coming um, weeks, uh, well, since 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 we launched the report in June, um, we've been kind of looking in more detail at the experiences of people with particular characteristics. So we've done a um, kind of mini report on ethnicity. We've done a mini report on religion, a mini report on gender. We'll be doing one on um, sexual orientation and uh, we've done one on disability as well. Those will be released kind of over the course of the autumn. Um, we're, we're not kind of sharing it during the summer because um, we want people to read them and everyone's on holiday at the moment, or hopefully people are taking their holidays at the moment. So we're, yeah, we're waiting until the autumn and then we'll be sharing these kind of deep dives. And we're also with each kind of passing term, more and more schools are signing up to the survey. And so our data set is growing and growing. So um, what we would hope is that this time next year, we've got kind of 40,000 respondents um, that have taken part in the survey and then perhaps we, we, we're able to kind of look in more detail at those smaller groups that um, where we don't have a large enough kind of respondent base this time so gender reassignment and so on so yeah the, the survey is available for kind of more schools to take it up um, and we will be continuing to analyze um, and the data set will be 
continuing to grow uh, and becoming kind of richer over time. Home.edurio.com is the website of the company. That's home.edurio, E-D-U-R-I-O.com. They were founded in 2014. And of course, our thanks to Iona and to Natalie Arnett for making those excellent conversations happen. That is all for this particular episode. Thank you so much for listening. To make sure you receive all future episodes from NEHT and NEHT Edge, don't forget to subscribe on any of the major podcast sites. We're on pretty much everyone. Now, however you get them, there's usually a simple way to leave a review on that particular podcatcher or site. Please do tell us, if you get a chance, what you think. We always welcome your thoughts and reflections. And and perhaps equally, if you have a story from your school, a particular guest or issue to suggest for us to cover, we'd welcome those as well. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. NAHT Edge is the part of our association aimed specifically at aspirational middle leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT Edge or NAHT member, go online to nahtedge.org.uk forward slash join or www.naht.org.uk forward slash join. Our social media accounts on Twitter are the handles at NAHT Edge and at NAHT News. And we'll speak to you next time. From NAHT and NAHT Edge, the School Leadership Podcast.